This is MPN. Welcome to Movie Matchup. I'm Casey. And I'm Grace. A podcast where we talk in-depth about two movies with a common theme, and at the end, we'll talk about menu items you can enjoy while having your movie marathon. Grace, what is this week's theme? This week's theme is Communicate with a Spacemate. Yay! Yay! And our first movie is Contact. And the Rotten Tomatoes plot is, in this Zemeckis-directed adaptation of the Carl Sagan novel, Dr. Ellie Arroway races to interpret a possible message originating from the Vega star system. Once first contact with an extraterrestrial intelligence is proven, Arroway contends with restrictive national security advisor Kitts and religious fanatics bent on containing the implications of such an event. An incredible message is found hidden in the signal, but will Arroway be the one to answer its call? Oh. Uh, (laughs) and our second movie is arrival um and this summary comes from user j welch 5742 on imdb (laughs) 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 linguistics professor louise banks leads an elite team of investigators when gigantic spaceships touch down in 12 locations around the world As nations teeter on the verge of global war, Banks and her crew must race against time to find a way to communicate with the extraterrestrial visitors. Hoping to unravel the mystery, she takes a chance that could threaten her life and quite possibly all of mankind. (gasps) (laughs) I'm excited to find out how it ends. (laughs) All right. So Contact uh, is from 1997, and you can rent it for $3.99 on Amazon. And it starts... Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about the, the both of them, I guess. Um, yes. Sorry. To start with. <laughs> oh, right. That thing that we're doing that the movies have in common. Um, but yes, while we're talking about uh, where you can stream. Also, Arrival um, is available on IMDb TV, TV, whatever streaming service IMDb has. Yeah, IMDb um, TV, yeah. Yeah, it, it, like, has ads, but you can watch the movie for free, which is kind of (laughs) nice. All right, so, Grace, you did this mashup. Do you want to talk about what they have in common first? Yeah, I I actually had not watched Contact, I think, since I saw it in theaters, which, if it came out in 97, that would have made me 12 years old. Um, I'm not going to do the math and let everybody know how old I am, but (laughs) I guess you can if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I vaguely remembered that it had to do with space, and Jodie Foster was in it, and uh, she, she was our main point of contact with the aliens, and so I thought that it would make a good <laughs> double feature with Arrival. <laughs> Which, and they do have those things in common. Uh, it is a, a first contact story in both cases, um, through the eyes of a female protagonist. Um, which is nice, and also I feel like sets a different tone uh, I was just realizing, like, well, for the most part, and there's a huge exception to this, obviously, but for the most part, I feel like if you have a female protagonist or a child in an alien story, it tends to be a bit more, um, it, you know, the aliens are coming in peace and we just have to learn how to communicate with them type of thing. Uh, whereas when it's a male protagonist, like, get ready for them to start 
blowing things up. <laughs> yeah, they're going to fight the aliens. The aliens yes. are a threat. And yeah. And obviously alien is a huge uh, <laughs> exception to this rule. But <laughs> yeah. The I mean, franchise. Yeah. But um that's like <laughs> in that that's one. like in space though. And then I can think of yeah. also there's like close encounters which is like a man communicating, you yeah, know. But but typically, yes, yeah. it's if men if it's an alien movie, it is that they are a threat and want so to take know, over the planet yeah, and have to fight them. Day, War of the Worlds type thing. It's it's going to be a threat and we we got to fight it. Yes. Um, um but not the, not not the case in both of these movies. Um yeah, we have our protagonist who is, you know, mostly interested in making contact either in, in that first initial, um, in Jodie Foster's case, just, just trying to to prove that they exist somewhere out there. And um, in, uh, in Arrival, she's trying to form some uh, common communication between uh, these aliens who just kind of show up one day. And... Uh, the most of the conflict happens with between not between them and the aliens, but between them and other humans <laughs> who are sort of who are not as trusting of the aliens' intentions as as these women these women are. Yeah, the like the government. Yeah, the government and like the military. Yeah, they both sort of are coming up against this very aggressive, like militarized uh, uh, environment that they're have to have to work within because obviously you know it makes sense to be cautious and to be uh maybe even a little paranoid about the intentions when <laughs> whenever some random aliens are making contact <laughs> with us because they're obviously going to be much more a much more advanced civilization uh if they come here um but also you know if they're so advanced uh, I can understand our protagonist's point of view because if they're so advanced, it would probably be very easy for them to take us out, to wipe us out in some way. And if they're not doing that immediately, then you can assume that they have some other purpose for making contact. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that both ways, really, because I feel like if humans were to go to a different planet, you know, at first we usually just go to just kind of look at it and explore and we're not really doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. But if we were really to eventually like go there, go there, I feel like it's because we are out of resources here. We are looking for something to kind of like take it over. You know, I, I can see yeah. both of it. So yeah, <laughs> both of these women are also fairly alone in their lives. Like while mm -hmm. they have, they each have like a love interest, they are mostly on their own. And then the love interests um, have different ideologies from the main character. Like yes. whether it's like science and faith or it's like science and language. Um, yeah. And I really like that about both of them. That, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. They're, they're both coming from, uh, you know, a different uh, ideology, which sort of gives their relationship an inherent like tension, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> that plays out pretty well. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 uh, I enjoy both of the romances in these stories. They're, you know, they're not the focus of the story in either case. They're just sort of like a, a side uh, story, I feel like, to both of them. Like, even in Arrival, I feel like it's mostly centered on the, the life of her daughter, uh, more so than her relationship with, um, you know, her daughter's father, who turns out to be Jeremy Renner's character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I like that. I like that it's just like the romance is secondary. Both of these women are very focused on 
yeah. what they're doing and the fact that aliens are there, which probably is a bigger deal than like <laughs> getting a man at the moment. <laughs> like just got bigger fish to fry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Contact was nominated for Best Sound at the Oscars when it, um, at the time. And then Arrival was nominated for Best Sound mi- Mixing and it won for Best Sound Editing. So yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, it is. It, it's a funny sort of um, archetype that the, both of these women are, are sort of isolated and lonely and they're, they're both seeking uh, connection not with the people around them necessarily yeah. but with aliens yeah. <laughs> like let's make this as hard as possible <laughs> they're yearning for something more and to learn about you know yeah. bigger ideas and bigger things mm-hmm. yeah yeah. let's see I think we've covered most of the big stuff as far as what they have in common there's, so there's, there's some fun when you're watching the, the two movies back to back I think there's some fun um, uh just visual uh, echoes uh, from one to the other, um, particularly as they're getting closer to the aliens and, and making their, their sort of their big final contact uh, with them. Um, so that makes it a, a, a good double feature, I feel like. But yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty here and see if anything else jumps out at us. Okay. All righty. Um, okay. So, <laughs> Jenna Malone <laughs> plays young Ellie, and she is passionate about trying to contact people on her ham radio. That was so fun. I did not realize that it was Jenna Malone because, again, I haven't watched this since I was 12, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. So, like, when you talked about pairing these together, like, it, it mm. seemed like, oh, they go together in mind, and then watching it, it's like, oh, these are very similar stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't believe how similar they were. Um <laughs> But yeah, so, and I, yeah, I totally did not remember that the Jenna Malone played young Jodie Foster. <laughs> so she's like curious about communicating on her radio and how far away she can communicate uh, with people. And she asks her widowed father, played by David Morris, do you think there's people on other planets? And he responds, if it is just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. So then we jump forward and Ellie is now grown up into Jodie Foster and she arrives in San Juan, Puerto Rico to work at SETI which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. She meets Palmer Jones. Sounds like a lot of fun, gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there actually is like an agency just committed to like looking for alien life but like what an awesome job to have (laughs) even if even if you've got nothing like it's just to be able to tell people that that's what you do (laughs) I feel like that sounds like a fun job I don't know if her job would be fun I feel like what we see of it is interesting but most of the time you're just listening to nothing hoping that you just hear something But so she meets Palmer Joss, played by Matthew McConaughey, who is doing research for a book about how technology affects third world countries. So he's a man of the cloth without the cloth. (laughs) And uh, she tells him that later they're like bonding and she tells him that she knew she wanted to be an astronomer when she was eight. There are 400 billion stars out there just in our galaxy alone. If only one out of a million of those had planets, if just one out of a million of those had life, and if just one out of a million of those had intelligent life, there would be literally millions of civilizations out there. And he replies, <laughs> if there wasn't, 
it'd be an awful waste of space. (laughs) Which she makes a really good point. Like, I feel (laughs) like it's so hard to hear this and just think, like, aliens don't exist. Like, it just, (laughs) why are we the only ones in, like, an, yeah, just an infinite universe. But, so after sex, Palmer uh, explains how he found God. And they, I think they have a really good chemistry in this movie. Yeah. Like they have different ideologies, but you really feel like even those people that are so different are really drawn to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then Ellie's boss, David Drumlin, played by Tom Skerritt, he... Wa- oh, okay. oh, we yes, have to ahead. talk about how she's, <laughs> he wants to see her again and she just oh. like so awkwardly turns yeah. to yeah. get away. Yeah, she was, she has like the male character, like <laughs> stereotypical character of just like, Hey, the sex was great. Gotta go. Feel free to stay here as long as it takes you to basically get your clothes together and get out. But, you know, like, no rush. And yeah. he wants to see her again. He's, and- like, trying to make plans, and she's, like, being wishy-washy. And he's, like, so how do I contact you again? She's, like, oh, just leave your number. I'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. 1997, Matthew McConaughey. I'm giving him my number. Yeah, like not, I'm I don't not. <laughs> know how you turn that down, but okay. <laughs> uh, but yes, some <laughs> aliens to find. She's busy. <laughs> I I if, I feel like you can juggle both, right? I don't understand. Uh, but so yeah, so Ali's boss, David Drumlin, played by Tom Skerritt. He wants to stop wasting taxpayer money on like pie in the sky abstractions and start spending it on practical, measurable ways to improve the lives of the people. So he pulls the plug on her program. Uh, it's uh, just the worst. Yeah. Uh, What's his name? Drummond? Drumlin. Drum. Okay. I refer to him as Dr. Asshole for the rest okay. of my notes. So. <laughs> I think you should. I think that's great. So she thinks, uh, or he thinks that she's too good of a scientist to be wasting her life on this. So she gets the money on her own to do her own research, and then we jump four years into the future, and she has a bunch of satellites trying to find life. Palmer is now a best-selling author, and on Larry King, he says, are we happier as a human race? Is the world fundamentally a better place because of science and technology? We shop at home, we surf the web. At the same time, we feel emptier, lonelier, and more cut off from each other than at any other time in human history which was so weird to hear in 1997 because i feel like you hear that all the time now you're nobody's even doing that yet yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you have no idea it's like how much more isolating it's going to get i wouldn't have even thought like if i'm trying to think back of 1997 it's like could i shop online was i able to buy stuff on the internet like it just would not have entered no my mind yet i feel like yeah i I mean, just barely people were starting to, but it's like, yeah, like in, God, when did the net come out? That Sandra Bullock movie, remember that? Yeah, I do. Remember she orders pizza online in that movie. You couldn't do that yet. Nobody was ordering pizza online. Yeah, that's come up recently because we started watching The Crown and Jeremy Nordham is on The Crown and he was like, like, yeah, he's from the net. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) getting off track here. So meanwhile, Ellie is listening to her satellites and she hears something. Someone is communicating in prime numbers. And then the secret is out. So (laughs) Drumlin has come back and with him is Michael Kitts, uh, played by uh, James Woods. And he's like the national security advisor. And then while they're there, they get a second communication. 
So at the White House, they explained to Rachel Constantine, played by Angela Bassett, that the first Olympics was the first thing to be broadcast into space, which is why the second communication was them broadcasting it back to them. And then President Bill Clinton <laughs> makes a statement. <laughs> they really worked hard to, like, include so much Bill Clinton in this movie. Yeah, so that is in my trivia later about <laughs> okay. President Bill Clinton using clips of Bill Clinton as if he is talking about yeah. communicating with aliens. Because, uh, you know, you don't see that. Somebody's always cast as the president. You don't use footage of the president to be the president. Yeah, so, it's, it's weird. Yeah. So instead of, um, so they, yeah, we, we see Bill Clinton. And then instead of Ellie getting to make the announcement to the press, Drumlin gets to announce it as if it's his project and his discovery. He's the, just the worst. Just the worst. <laughs> So then they receive a third communication, which is 10,000 pages of text. So Drumlin is put in charge of the decryption effort, and Ellie is still running the VLA facility. So now it is chaos outside of her work, now that the word is out. So people are singing and dancing. There's an Elvis impersonator, and alien abduction insurance, which was a real thing. Like that, they were like a real company at the time, which is just, I mean, of course there's a company where you can get alien abduction insurance. I don't know how that works. Like, is that like if you come back, you get paid to be abducted or like your family gets money if you get abducted and you can prove it? I yeah, don't know. How would you be able to prove that though and not just like, oh, you, you know, you disappeared. I, like. sh I should have Googled that to find out like how, <laughs> since it was a real thing that you could buy, how it worked. But so evangelist Jake Busey is also there and he is asking a crowd of people, if these scientists are who you want talking to your God for you. Jake Busey doing his Jake Buseyist, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just looking creepy. <laughs> yeah. And I think he might be peak creepy in this. He's really creepy. He might be what? Peak creepy. Like he might be, this might be the creepiest I, I think of him in things. This but maybe and I'm just. The Frighteners is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that one. I should watch The Frighteners again. Uh, maybe we'll do a podcast about it in the future. Um, yeah. So Ellie talks to Mr. Haddon, played by John Hurt, who funded her work. And he figured out how the pages fit together and how to decode them. And we find out that they are blueprints. And of course, Drumlin takes credit for deciphering the code. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, this point is um, the figuring out how the pages fit together. It's, it's also so, sort of similar to Arrival in that you kind mm -hmm. of have to, it's like a, you can't think about this like a human, you know, Yes. Uh, who's like reading a book. They, the pages like fold together like into a cube and they're like, you know, four-dimensional or whatever. Yeah. Three-dimensional, four-dimensional? I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, and similarly in Arrival, you know, they, it's the whole thing of you can't think of it back to front because they, the, the alien language is sort of just all in one, all encompassing because they, that's how time is for them. Anyway. <laughs> good point though that is that's definitely true so palmer shows up again as an advisor to the president and palmer and ellie discuss god and she doesn't believe in god because there's no proof she's a woman of science and he asks if she loved her dad which she did and he asks her to prove it which she mm. can't really prove it but they are interrupted because the blueprints have leaked to the news <laughs> and so they think that the blueprints are designed to take a single person to space and a committee gets to decide who can go. And of course, there's 10 candidates and a third of them are American. Because of course <laughs> they are. 
which upsets uh, the rest of the world. And then I like that it seems realistic that large contractors are donating money in exchange for the technology that I feel like in the real world, if this were to happen, that it would be like people that have like a lot of money or companies would try to like barter and see like, okay, I will give money to you. And like, what can I get out of it and be able to to take advantage of it? Yeah, there's a lot of that that feels very realistic. I feel like in this movie, just the whole, the politics of it all. Um, feels appropriately messy (laughs) yes there's only one thing i would say in this movie that doesn't feel realistic to me that's going to come up pretty quickly but Mm -hmm. like everything else as far (laughs) as like i'm going to go with you on like this science because i cannot follow it and going to like space so let's just go with you on that journey there's only one thing that i would say does no i think i know what you're gonna yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so palmer explains to her that if she goes and comes back like she'll only be four years older but 50 years will have passed on Earth, and everyone she knows and cares about will be dead, um, and that's if she survives or comes back at all. And she's willing to do that. Like She's willing just to yeah. know and go on that journey. She doesn't have anybody. I mean, kind of by choice, I guess. She's just been so consumed with aliens for her whole life. That, yeah. Uh, she's got some friends, you know, co-workers, friends, but not like anybody that she's really close this to. This is her passion and I feel like like her passion like her whole life has yeah. been trying to to do this so she like would rather know yeah what does it matter if she comes back 50 years in the future. Yeah. So Ellie is being questioned by the committee and things are going well until Palmer asks if she believes in God which seems to ruin her chances of being able to go. Dick move. <laughs> Gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> like I understand his reasoning. Uh, but still. (laughs) Yeah. So Drumlin tells the committee exactly what they want to hear. So he has chosen to travel in the machine. Mm -hmm. So they're getting ready for launch. And Ellie is watching. uh, And she notices that Jig Busey is there. (laughs) And he has a bomb strapped to him. With his creepy face. (laughs) Yeah. And he blows up the machine. (laughs) And Drumlin dies. And that is the unrealistic part. (laughs) <laughs> that this strange man who mm-hmm. does not look normal and would have no badge or credentials or anything like that manages nope. to get past security onto like the facility and then onto the thing going into space which I feel like they would be very careful about how who is like touching what yeah. buttons and preparing it's like that would be the most secure location in the world yeah (laughs) it's literally alien technology that no one has tested yet yeah and it's like a handful (laughs) of people doing jobs in there everybody knows each other can you like someone just like walks into your work and just goes like behind a counter and be like who are you and that's just like a regular (laughs) place i can't imagine when it's like oh we're going in like we're getting ready to send this man into space Mm mm-hmm there's five faces that I recognize and it's like this guy's been hired like gone for the day to do something and push buttons. I don't know. Uh, Producer Ryan, I guess, has found some information about alien objection insurance. So. It's $20 a year. It's $20 for the whole policy. So it's $20 for the whole policy. What a, what a deal, really. Right, exactly. And if you're able to prove that you were abducted by aliens... You have to have, like, video proof, a third party. Like, it's basically, really, it's never going to pay out. But it pays out $10 million, but wow. a, $1 a year, though. What? That's not that's not $10 million, then. Nobody lives for 10 million years. Well, nobody really needs to buy alien abduction insurance either, so. <laughs> 
I mean, does anyone with that kind of payout? How, why, how would you? <laughs> it's for a gag gift, it looks like. It sort of you know, oh, seems like cool. it might be for yeah. It would take 20 years to get my $20 investment <laughs> back. I could just set that money aside. And really, I don't know if the dollar a year, if I have been abducted by aliens, I don't know what's going to happen. Again, I may not be coming back right. if I am taken. I guess maybe the thinking is that, uh, you know, if you come back and there's been some sort of timey-wimey nonsense while you were abducted, maybe you're 10 million years in the future, and then it's like, hey, payday. <laughs> <But> <laughs> okay, on that Otherwise, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess they just didn't want people buying it and then trying to, uh, you know, create, a, like, pretend that they were abducted and, mm -hmm. and have to actually deal with all of that. So it has to be this completely fake thing. I sense. guarantee you that happened. I can't imagine <laughs> what stories they have been told. I would be very curious about people uh, trying to cash in that insurance policy. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so... The machine blows up, Drumlin dies, and then Haddon tells Ellie that they built a second secret machine, and she can be <laughs> the one to go. So her and Palmer make up before she's getting ready to leave, and then Ellie's in the machine, but her connection is cutting out, and she just keeps repeating, I'm okay to go. And she goes through a wormhole, she sees Vega, she goes back in the like tunnel, she sees a quadruple system, and I get back in the wormhole. And she eventually, she descends onto a beach and she sees her father and the aliens scan her memory and are using the image of her father and Pensacola, Florida to make it easier for her to kind mm. of handle meeting aliens. And he tells her that many others have traveled like she did in the machine and that they didn't build it and they don't know who did. And the point of this was just to make contact. It's like a simple hello and now she'll go back. And she's eager to have others experience this the same thing. But her father alien tells her that this is how it's been done for billions of years and it's small moves. So she goes back. Which makes sense, I feel like. I think so too. I mean, if you're an alien, you know, it's it's the uh, it's like if you're if you're a, a super advanced alien species and you're making first contact with somebody who's, who may not have the capacity to really understand uh what's happening and maybe even launch into a full-blown war because of <laughs> the contact that you're making with them then it makes sense to make as 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 soft of an impact as possible yeah you know <laughs> yeah no it makes sense because like really easy <laughs> yeah like if our if let's say we weren't having our ice caps melt and our planet wasn't dying and stuff and we were fine but we still yeah. wanted to communicate with others it's like if we found proof of like alien life I feel like just knowing that they exist, I don't know what we would do beyond that if we're so far away. Like, they can only send one at a time anyway, you know? So it just, yeah, you'd find out if they are hostile or you would just want to know that they exist and maybe observe that. But, yeah, it's mm -hmm. not like... So it makes sense to me. So she goes back. They say she never left. <laughs> she faces an inquiry where Kit says it was a final hoax by Haddon. <laughs> he made up the signal. And they ask her if they're really supposed to be okay spending half a trillion dollars just believing what she said is true, like purely on faith. And she admits that she would doubt what she's saying if it were someone else, but she wholeheartedly believes what happened to be true, even though she can't prove it. Oh, the irony. Yes. Yeah. 
hammer that home a little hard, but, end, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, Angela Bassett is talking to Kitts and mentions that she finds it interesting that Ellie's camera, it only recorded static, but it recorded 18 hours of static when they said <laughs> that she didn't go anywhere. Which so, I feel like is pretty convincing evidence, I gotta say. I don't know if they were trying to purposely trying to bury that because it's the only piece of evidence that she would have had. But still, I'm like, that there's evidence right there <laughs> yeah. to back up what she's saying. Yeah, and I think that they they know that. It's yeah. that James Woods is just trying to shut it down so other people don't know that it happened. Which yeah. I feel like is why he's going after her so hard that it's like, it's fake, it didn't really happen. Um, and to try to discredit her and to not let her know that that actually happened, that she you know, yeah, he it, really picks up the asshole baton at the end of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's covering up the government secrets. <laughs> which is why also I feel like she gets to continue to do her work. Like she's going to get like a grant to do her work is because like clearly she did find something. There's something mm -hmm. to be found. She is a credible person and she will get to move on. You're just not going to let her know that she actually did go somewhere. Yeah. So 18 months later. Uh, Ellie is talking to kids on a tour of her facility and she tells them the same line that's been repeated throughout <laughs> the movie. If it's just us, seems like an awful waste of space. <laughs> and that is the movie. Um, so this is based I, on a book by Carl Sagan who died during production. That's why at the end it says, for Carl. And uh, the quote um, about the awful waste of space, that is a Carl Sagan quote. And then the the rotating ring machine that she's inside <laughs> of to, like, transport her. So that was originally built for Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And what? then they didn't use it. They didn't use it in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. <laughs> it sounds like it was because they didn't know what to do with a naked man that was supposed to be inside of it in Terminator. <laughs> so they're like, eh. So um, they ended up using it for contact. And then Matthew McConaughey dropped out of the Jackal to be in this film. And then Sidney Poitier turned down the role of the president to be in the jackal what? um and then it just happened that bill clinton made a speech about a rock that they believed to be from mars and then they used that speech in the film to make it seem okay. like he's talking about aliens but it didn't seem like this went over very well uh which is why we have a president <laughs> we hire a person to be the president in films yeah. and we're not just taking footage of a living president and then just chopping it up to make it seem mm -hmm. like it fits the the movie so. Yeah, there's something kind of weird about that, like, may possibly unethical, I don't know. Yeah, because it, it's footage of, like, a real person who yeah. is, like, the most important person, and that's, like, an yeah. historical event, and I feel like it could get very messy and confusing if you're using them in clips of other things as if it were real. Yeah. Yeah, to, yeah, go along with your fiction story. Yeah. <laughs> just, eh. So that is contact. But kind of interesting how they did, how they, because it, it, it does kind of work. It's weird. <laughs> oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of thing that like you're watching now and you're like, uh, it almost seems like it would be a deep fake or something like that. Yeah. But obviously they did not have the technology yeah. at the time. <laughs> okay. So moving on to Arrival. So we open with this sort of montage of our protagonist Louise uh, having a baby little girl and we see her sort of grow up and 
get older and then she's uh, informed of some sort of illness that her little girl has and then we see her in the hospital bed uh, and we see her die so really uh <laughs> really happy thing to start off with. <laughs> the music also the music with yeah. it it's like it just rips your heart out it does it's and, very difficult not to end up crying in this yeah <laughs> and because we had watched this right after we had watched uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League it's just <laughs> she is given so much more to do in the first like, five minutes of this movie than she is in four hours of that film like she's not given anything to do and it's just oh it's just yeah it's a, a, a great sad opening yeah so we see Louise and she's on her way um, to teach at a university and um, there's something going on as she's uh, walking there and when she gets to the classroom it's mostly empty her, her students are all getting like messages on their phone and they ask her to turn on um, the television. And we see that there are, uh, first contact has been made. <laughs> Aliens are here. Uh, there are 12 like uh, spaceships sort of hovering at different points all over the globe. So we see everybody's just sort of, you know, watching the news about all this, which is the most realistic reaction, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> if this were to actually happen. Um, and then uh, Forrest Whitaker, uh, who plays Colonel Weber, Weber uh, arrives uh, to ask for Louise's help. She's a, a linguist, uh, and so he plays an audio clip for her to translate, and she says that she can't translate off of an audio file um, because, uh, you know, lots of reasons, <laughs> including that she has no, like, basis on which uh, to... It's just, like, sounds. It's, like groaning clicking sounds yeah so like i don't know what he expected her to do but yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, she says she needs to be there in person and he's like nice try i'm gonna go ask somebody else and she's like yeah good luck with that um, <laughs> so he shows back up in the middle of the night with a helicopter because uh he realizes that uh you know she was right and, and uh, he needs to bring her there uh, she gets in the helicopter and we meet Ian Donnelly, played by uh, Jeremy Renner, who uh, his first move is to neg her for some reason. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. Reading Louise's book yeah. and uh, takes issue with the idea that the foundation of civilization is language. He says it's science. Um, <laughs> it was just a, a great first impression, really. <laughs> Can't imagine why he's single. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, he is a, uh, I think, a physicist. Uh, He's a theoretical physicist, yeah. Theoretical physicist, yeah. Uh, they arrive and uh, get to see the ship in person. It's like this sort of glowing, like floating, like a half uh, sphere almost, or like oval. It reminds me of a coffee bean. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, like <laughs> so, a coffee bean cut in half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they uh, get uh, all suited up to go uh, and see the aliens. Um, we meet uh, Captain Marks, played by Mark O'Brien. Did you recognize him? I did. Is I wrote it before? down. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, he can't be trusted. Just spoilers <laughs> really for later. Can. Just like in Ready or Not, don't trust this man. Uh, he seems he seems all right at first, but he's gonna he's gonna turn on you. <laughs> you know what? He then that's what he does every time. <laughs> and probably in Marriage Story, if that movie were an hour longer, we wouldn't be able to trust him either. Yeah. <laughs> so and uh, Agent Halpern, played by uh, Michael Stolberg, 
um, who's just going to be causing Louise a lot of grief throughout the rest of this movie. Um, so we find out that America is in contact with all the other countries. Uh, uh, Michael Solberg is sort of uh, in front of, you know, the monitor that's full of faces that represent all the other countries um, that we see in these kinds of movies. And we go um, and uh, take a trip to the ship. And it's really cool, just production design in this whole thing and, and just the concept of how this all works. So they go like up, basically, because it's just, like standing up ship and they, they take like a little elevator up and then the gravity like shifts so that the shaft upward becomes like a hallway and they just walk up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that before. It's such an interesting idea. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, and when they get there, we um, see the aliens are sort of on this like other side of this glass in this sort of foggy environment. We assume that the, that's you know their environment. They've made the outside of that glass safe for for humans to be yeah. in. Um, so for her first um, trip, that's it. Actually, <laughs> we just get a look and. Uh, Understandably, it's a little overwhelming uh, for uh, Louise and uh, Ian. Um, so we just kind of get a look at the aliens and then, and then we're back. Um, but on our second trip, we uh, have Louise trying to make some sort of headway with the communication. So she has a whiteboard and she writes human on it. And then they write back by like holding up their little tentacle and, <laughs> and it sprays smoke into the air. Uh, and forms a sort of like circular symbol. Um, it looks like a coffee so stain, like a coffee bean chip, <laughs> and like it looks like yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it looks like a coffee stain. <laughs> on our third trip, um, we get names. She she writes Louise on the on the hazmat suit. She freaks everybody out by getting outside of the hazmat suit so she can you know sort of have a face to face with the aliens. Um, and they write back to her. Um, we get another, what seems to be a flashback of Louise with her daughter. Um, and, uh, we get a, a little scene with Captain Mark where his, uh, uh, I assume wife is not taking his, his, uh, current mission very well. She's very worried for him, uh, and what's going to happen. Yeah. And, um, I get tensions it. are, tensions are rising on among humanity <laughs> about what's going on with these aliens um we get a little montage where we get to know a bit more about the heptapods according to uh ian who's doing the voice over here um we learned that their their language is non-linear so they basically present uh all of their thoughts uh, like uh, as one complete thought uh, each symbol that we get is like kind of an entire concept rather than like a sentence in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he presents the question, is this how they think right here? Um, and we get a little scene between uh, Ian and Louise and where he uh, <laughs> he compliments her by saying you approach language like a mathematician. <laughs> which I mean, I'm again, hot and bothered like, I, from yeah. that, I think. Is really great at the flirting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see the uh, military guys listening to some sort of Rush Limbaugh type figure, uh, radio personality, who's uh, just being a dick and saying that we need to give the aliens some sort of show of force. 
because I, I don't know why. Why? 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 <laughs> Dumb military. <laughs> Uh, we see another uh, flashback with Louise. She's helping her daughter with her homework, and it becomes clear here that uh, she is split from the girl's father. Okay, so she says specifically, yeah. if you want science, call your father. Yes. <laughs> and this is clue two, because we had a flashback earlier, and she had drawn a picture of her parents and mm -hmm. a birdcage. And they take <laughs> a birdcage with them to make sure that the air quality is okay when they're talking to the alien so yes sort of canary in the coal mine situation yes. uh every time they speak to the aliens yes clue two just clue, clue number two yeah but i did not pick up on it for <laughs> <laughs> um it because it does kind of work even as a flashback you're thinking like okay so she had a relationship with a guy who was a scientist and now that might make her a little wary of getting into another relationship with a scientist like jeremy jeremy Renner's yeah character. i mean i i feel like they're supposed to be subtle you're not really supposed yeah. to like think about this child's drawing also earlier that it's just like it's like two people and like a bird cage which seems very just like random but it's just like oh the only time i've seen a bird cage as a reference is the one that they take so it's like yeah. okay so maybe this isn't i see you <laughs> Um, so we have, um, Louise has been having some strange dreams. Um, they, she talks about how if you immerse yourself in a new, new language, it can rewire your brain, um, which is exactly what's, what's happening. Um, there's some, uh, something up with China's military chief who, uh, his name is General Shang and it's, it's been established as kind of, um, the head honcho over there in a lot of other countries will sort of go as he goes. So he's he's got a lot of power. And he's uh, seems to be getting a little paranoid about uh, these aliens and their intentions. Michael Soberg, sorry, no. Uh, Forrest Whitaker says we need to ask uh, these guys the big question, which Louise has been putting off because they need to establish uh, enough vocabulary between the two of them that when they ask them why they are there, which is the big question that they don't get... Uh, confused <laughs> as to what the answer is yeah so she goes she asks them what is your purpose and they do their little thing and the answer that they give her is offer weapon which freaks everybody out <laughs> yeah uh, understandably <laughs> um and they immediately think that the aliens are trying to pit all of these different factions of humanity against each other um making them go to war and stuff. They think that they can't trust them. Uh, Louise is still trying to, you know, calm everybody down, get on the alien side. She says, we don't know if they know the difference between weapon and tool, blah, blah, blah. She says, we need to go back in there and ask them to clarify. Uh, so she goes. Um, but before she gets there, we see that Captain Marks and some of his boys uh, had got into uh, the spaceship first. So that's not good. And <laughs> when she goes to speak with them, um, something is up with the heptapods. Uh, they're like uh, tapping on the glass. They drop like a shitload of <laughs> their language on them all at once. Uh, and then uh, just before the bomb that Captain Marks planted, and oh, once again, we get a bomb. Bomb, yeah, and up. an explosion inside like the ship or the machine. Yeah, yeah. uh-huh. Um, the... Aliens drop the gravity so that uh, Luis is, um, and uh, Ian are blown back uh, so that they don't get hit by the explosion. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but they, they soften their, their landing before they 
before they can hit the ground, obviously. At that point, they sort of hover, they sort of move the ship. They don't leave, but they like move and like are higher up. And uh, everybody's making plans to, to get out of town because they figure like, well, we've screwed it up now. The aliens are definitely going to attack in some way. We need to get far, far away. And she's saying, no, as long as they're staying here, we need to stay as well. And um, she just decides to go <laughs> off on her own um, to try to speak to them. So she goes out to the spaceship, which is now like half a mile up uh, in the air. Um, but they pick her up because, you know, they like her. <laughs> yeah. And there's another thing here, I feel like, with in contact, she didn't want to be in some sort of safety harness within the ship because it wasn't part of the aliens' plans. Yeah. And there are, you know, they, the scientists are all like, no, you have to be like, we just, you know, we don't know that they know what a human body can take or yeah. whatever, so we need to yeah. put you in. And then, like, halfway through her trip, and she's like shaking and it's it's almost like a like a roller coaster ride for half of it and she's in this chair shaking and then as soon as she leaves the chair uh she's fine like she can just float and it's like yeah. <laughs> everything's good and i feel like this is another case where it's just like yeah we can just trust the aliens like they know what they're doing yeah so they like pick her up and she uh floats up uh and uh, she you know tries to get more information out of them she, they explained to her that, uh, you know, they're offering her humanity their technology because um, they want to help humanity because in 3,000 years' time, they'll need humanity's help. And she asks how they can uh, know this. And they basically hint that, that she already knows how they know this. And this is when we get the reveal. She's, she's getting more flashbacks of, uh, or what seem to be flashbacks of her daughter. And she says, I don't understand who is this child. And we realize that these are actually flash forwards to the daughter that she will have with Jeremy Renner um, later. So she has been uh, so immersed in their language that uh, she uh, can now think like them and perceive time like them. And um, everything's about to get real timey-wimey here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> she goes back to the base, and they're trying to get everybody uh everybody to leave um but she knows she needs to contact uh general shang uh because as he goes so goes the world <laughs> um so she she hijacks a satellite phone from michael stolberg and she calls him and uh she uh as she's <laughs> because she is getting a flash forward to 18 months i believe in the future where general shang talks to her and tells her that because of her everything worked out because she called him. <laughs> so you see, <laughs> I'm doing a bad job explaining it, but he gives her her number in the future so that she can call him in the past. And then <laughs> yeah. he tells her his dying wife's last words to him so that she can tell him in the past what they were so that he will trust her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it all works out. <laughs> he stands down. Um, and since everybody else follows suit, uh, the aliens leave, and they've left with us uh, their language and their technology uh, so that uh, they, you know, humanity can uh, have that technology in order to make ourselves better. Uh, and then Ian finally makes a move <laughs> after all this time. Um, we end with a sort of a flash forward of their life together and her 
you know, Louise seeing the life of their daughter and realizing that she's she's going to embrace it, even though it sort of ends in this heartbreak. Um, and we end with them embracing and it's very sad and moving. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he, like, what is the start of his journey of, like, their yeah. life together where it's, like, the first time they have sort of embraced this way. She has already experienced this and already gone through the loss of it. So for her, this is, like, a return to the familiar and what she's not going to have and um, what he is just starting. So. <laughs> it's very beautiful. <laughs> it is. And, like the like, the language is also the like the film that it's all kind of like circular and working in all these ways because like for them it is like different spots in time and we are seeing like flashbacks which are actually flash forwards and things like that so yes yeah so the movie is based on a 1998 short story called story of your life by ted chang oh i don't know if uh, i couldn't i don't know if he actually says this in the movie but uh the uh general shang's wife's dying words that she says in order to convince him uh, to trust her where war doesn't make winners only widows oh which i thought was nice yeah um apparently uh director dennis Vill- i'm gonna screw up his name <laughs> villeneuve yes denny villeneuve yeah okay uh denny villeneuve okay and uh eric uh screenwriter eric heiser maybe uh <laughs> didn't look that up so don't know <laughs> They created a fully functioning uh, visual alien language for the movie. Um, And also, we get an homage to Contact uh, in this movie. One of the sites where uh, one of the alien vessels uh, contacts down is uh, Hokkaido, which is where the... uh, The second second machine was. was Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and that's Arrival. All right. Should we talk about some food? So for contact, because he is eating Cracker Jacks when he meets her um, and she is offered Earl Grey tea because Haddon knows that she drinks Earl Grey tea when she goes to visit him, I made Earl Grey caramel corn, um, which was quite easy. I recommend it. (laughs) You just melt the butter and put the tea in it and just kind of let it sit for a little bit and then you just strain it out so you will lose butter when you make it. And you just strain out and then you just use that butter to make the caramel corn mixture to just pour over the popcorn, you know, and just bake it and mix it. So it's yeah. really easy to do uh, tea-flavored caramel corn. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I did not take any notes about food in this movie. I don't know if I was just too invested in the movie to pay attention, but I could not remember any <laughs> food being eaten. <laughs> but I mentioned earlier that the alien spaceships remind me of coffee beans so i feel like chocolate covered coffee beans would be a good uh snack to have and also just the whole language is in circles like we said it kind of looks like a coffee stain so i feel like there's an opportunity there really any sort of circular food but i was thinking donuts in particular would be really appropriate (laughs) yeah or um sugar cookies just nice circular sugar cookies you could easily uh decorate with uh, the alien symbols on top that would be good. All right. I have <laughs> I was going to ask you. So, uh, you know, in contact, she's told that if she goes and mm-hmm. returns that it would be 50 years in the future. Like she'll only be 4 years older. Which right. I feel like is a is a doable sacrifice to go to space, like that you are just going to be 4 years, you know, older when you would return. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people might be okay with that. The fact that 50 years has passed 
yeah. is like a big a big deal. Would you do that? No. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I don't I have mean, yeah. If I had dedicated my entire life to the search for extraterrestrial life, then probably yes. But I have not, and I'm not that invested in it. So <laughs> I feel like, you know, 50 years, I'll hopefully still be alive. So I'll find out, you know, at that point <laughs> what happened. Yeah. I'm good with just finding out that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I would not do it. And so then, and I figured you would say no. So then my next question, okay. which I guess is like the real question, but like how we're getting there is so they have created or they're going to you know make they've announced that they're making that voyager station space hotel in 2027 where you can go and stay in a hotel in space have you seen that oh i have seen that okay would you stay in the space hotel yes absolutely (laughs) so i would also stay in the space hotel they they're supposed to have things like weightless basketball and stuff like so you can actually like you know do activities with the weightless gravity and I told mm-hmm. producer Ryan, I'm like, that's the only way you're getting me to play basketball. Because I'd be willing to try if there's no weight. But in general, not really. Well, I mean, you're very short. That's true. I also... <laughs> in many ways... That's this... the only way you have, a, a, you know, even level the playing field. <laughs> if it's weightless basketball. You can just float above the tall people. <laughs> Gosh, I wonder how much that really would affect it. If, yeah, if you just don't have... If everybody can dunk, that'd be very interesting. Um, so yes, I would want to stay in the space hotel, but I wouldn't want to go first. I would need it to be tested for a while to just mm. make sure that it's safe. I will not be the first person on the ship, also for financial reasons, but I will not be like willing to test it the first go around. I need plenty of people to come back safely before I go and stay in the space hotel because yeah. that would still be amazing though. What a great view. All right, Grace, do you want to tell people where they can find us and what the theme of the next episode is? Sure. So you can find us on Instagram at movie underscore matchup or on uh, sugarednerd.com. Um, <laughs> for the next episode, uh, the theme will be X's and O's. And remember, if it is just us, seems like an awful waste of space. <laughs>